Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lambsdale USPSA Podcast. My name is Daryl, and I will be your host. So, uh, really, the biggest thing as far as uh, upcoming matches is Area 7 Championship. Um, Hamner Rifle Pistol Club is actually shooting uh, today, August 14th, for their uh, August match. Um I am not there, just trying to conserve some ammo for Area 7. So, yeah, Area 7 coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, The very beginning of September. Uh, September, what is it? September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Uh, Yeah, should be a great time. I've been uh, looking over the matchbook. Uh, which is posted on practice score. Kind of, kind of interesting um, the way it was done. Uh, the entire matchbook is on practice score if you signed up for the match, but each page is a separate individual file. So, kind of, kind of awkward, but uh, gets the job done. So, uh, so yeah. Ruger Area 7 Championship coming up the first weekend of September. Hamden Rifle Pistol Club. Uh, I believe this will be the first time that Hamden has hosted the Area 7 Championship. I could be wrong on that, but I believe it is the first time that Hamden um, will have hosted it. So looking forward to that. Uh, Obviously, I am working as a range officer. Uh, So I'll be shooting Friday and then working Saturday and Sunday. So, let's get into the uh, the main topic here. Oh, another thing. Um, the election, um, whatever you want to call it, the runoff election or whatever, is going on right now. Get onto the USPSA website and vote if you have not already. Uh, it's Yimin Lin against Bruce Wells. In my personal opinion, Yimin Lin should have won the initial election, but uh, yeah, I won't. I won't go off on that soapbox again. Uh, I feel I've already beaten that horse to death um, pretty well. So, uh, so yeah, vote if you have not already in the election. So. We're going to take a trip back in time here a couple of weeks to the Trident Armory Standby to Fly benefit match. Uh, yeah, huge, huge match, huge numbers that came out of that, over $70,000. Uh, I believe they've already set the goal for next year of 75000 So maybe we'll get a hundred this time. I know last year they set a, a $25,000 goal. <clears throat> pardon me. $25,000 goal ended up with 50 in around there. This year, $50,000 goal ended up with 70. Maybe uh maybe it was $75,000 goal we can hit or they can hit 100 next year uh for our very deserving veterans and the nonprofits that help them out. So at the match, uh, it was Sunday, and we had just uh, 
we just finished up on on my my stage stage five all of our squads had gone through we were done for the day we were packing up and just i think we just finished packing up and i was just picking up some brass and i hear over the radio i hear the range master lee cabana call another um person i believe it was neil who was running stats for the match to come up to the clubhouse to assist with assembling an arbitration committee. Now, arbitration committee is not a phrase that I have ever heard on the radio in a match. So, naturally, it got my attention. Apparently, there was a competitor who did not agree with the call that the range officer on their stage made. They appealed it to the other range officer, in this case, and got the same call. So they called for the range master. Competitor requested the range master. Range master goes up and essentially does not overturn the call. So at this point, the competitor requests arbitration. So I'm I'm not really thinking anything of it at this point. I'm just thinking to myself, okay, we got something, you know, got something here. No way I'm going to be called for this because the arbitration committee per the rule book should be made up of the the most experienced ROs there. Okay. Um so, uh, where is it here? Yeah, yeah. Composition of committee uh, under eleven point two of the rule book. Uh, let's see, eleven point two point two. Arbitration committee for level one and two matches. The match director shall appoint an arbitration committee of three experienced competitors uh, who are not parties. Uh, to the appeal and would not have a direct conflict of interest in the outcome of the case. The arbitrator should be certified range officials if possible. Uh, uh, all committee members will vote the senior range official or the senior shooter. If there are no range officials, will be the chairman. So basically we're looking for experienced competitors who are range officials. So obviously you'd want CROs if possible. So they start calling people on the radio to come to the clubhouse. Well, the problem is a lot of the other more senior range officials either had something to do with the arbitration. They were working as match director, stats, range master, whoever, or they'd already gone home. Because they'd run all their squads through their stage. They had packed up their stage and left. So about 10 minutes later, I am walking to my truck. I actually won some stuff in the, in the uh, raffle on the indoor range. So I got my, my goodies and I'm walking to put 
the bag in my truck. And all of a sudden, over the radio, I hear, Daryl Johnson, please report to the clubhouse. Holy crap. I actually got the call. Not even remotely thinking that I was going to get called for this arbitration committee. So I report to the clubhouse and get the, the, the gist of what's going on, which is what I already told you. Competitor, there was a call made. They didn't like the call. They appealed, you know, through the line of succession all the way up to the range master. Didn't like what the range master, you know, had to say. So requested arbitration. So that's all I know at this point. I don't know who the competitor is. Um, I believe they did tell us that it was stage 10. Okay. So th- this is this is getting interesting. I am now sitting in the clubhouse. And there are, uh, like, everybody sitting there. All kinds of people in there. And we're essentially waiting for the official form to come from the competitor, the actual arbitration form. They have to fill it out, the whole complaint, in writing. And if you go to NROI.org website, let me bring it up here. Um, the, the range master should have copies of this anyway, um, in which case Lee did, even though he had never been asked for one before. This was his very first one. Um, so you go to NROI.org under the resources link at the top of the page, go down to NROI forms, and right there you'll see certified ammo declaration incident form. Right in the middle is the arbitration form. So this the first page of this needs to be filled out by the competitor. Okay. Name, date, time, what match it is, the stage, who the range officer was for the stage that made the call, who the CRO was, list any witnesses, and then write exactly what happened, what rule you feel applies, sign it with your competitor number, give it to the, to the range master with either $100 or the equivalent match entry fee, whichever is lower. In this case, the $100 was lower. Now, per the rule book, the competitor has one hour from the request to arbitrate from that time to turn the money and this, this arbitration request form into the range master. In this particular case, he did so within the hour. So at that point, the committee had already been put together. It was myself and two other members, one of whom was a CRO, certified CRO. So he was the chairman for the committee, for the three of us. At this point, room is cleared. Everybody out. The only people in that room are myself, the other two members of the arbitration committee, and the range master who presented us with the complaint and said, when you are ready, just follow through the steps in the rule book. And then he walked out of the room. 
So now we've got this this big clubhouse room with only three people in it. So we read through the complaint on the arbitration form. We didn't really think of anything at that point. We read down through the complaint and it's like, okay, now we want we need to talk to people. So we called in the two range officers that were on the stage. They came in. We all, the three of us, asked them some questions, listened to their replies, thanked them, and dismissed them. We then brought in one of the witnesses, asked him some questions, thanked him, dismissed him. At that point, we, we had some more questions because there were some things that weren't quite adding up as far as the RO statements and the witness statement. So we wanted to bring in the second witness. All right. This competitor had two witnesses listed. And just because I won't list who the witnesses were, uh, nor will I tell you who the ROs were. So we want to talk to the the second witness. Well, unfortunately, at that exact moment, the second witness had an emergency, which caused him to have to leave the range immediately. So we were not able to speak to that witness and get their statement. This... This day, let me tell you, is just gone crazy, okay? I end up winning an AR-15. <laughs> then I get called for the arbitration committee. And then right in the middle of the arbitration committee, one of our witnesses has to skedaddle. It, what else can happen today? I mean, so we end up bringing... One of the ROs back in, the RO that originally made the call. And and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the call was for a foot fault. Competitor says their foot was inside the shooting area, basically up on the fault line. The RO claimed their foot was touching the ground outside the fault line. That's all this is. It's a foot fault. Ten point penalty. So... We talked to that RO again, asked them some more questions, get some follow-up and whatnot, thank them, dismiss them, bring in the first witness, ask them some more questions, kind of follow things up uh, with, with that shooter, thanked him, dismissed him. So now, at this point, we pretty much have all the evidence that we need. Per the rulebook, we cannot look at video or photographic evidence. We can't listen to audio evidence, anything like that. So we have a decision to make. What are we going to do with this arbitration? We have the complaint from the competitor. We have the statements from the ROs that were working the stage, and we have the statement from a witness. Looking back at it, 
hindsight being 2020, as they say, I kind of wish that we had called the competitor in also because we can do that per the rules. Um, I wish that we had called that competitor in and gotten their side of the story. I honestly don't know why we didn't. But like I said, this whole day was just starting to spiral out of control. It's like, what the hell's going on here? So, error on our part. We didn't we didn't talk to the shooter. So we made our decision based off of the evidence that we had, um, and our our decision was to essentially deny the appeal. So we informed the range master, we informed the match director, and then we went and informed the competitor. At that point, it, it, oh, sorry, it's done. It's over. We've made our decision. That's it. Well, the competitor obviously did not like what our decision came out to. So a couple of us on the arbitration committee, I know the um, the chairperson of the arbitration committee basically got his ear chewed off by the competitor. And then the competitor ended up showing him video of the incident and, and everything else. Um, but at that point, the decision was already made. It, it's done. We can't go back and change it. So watching the video afterwards doesn't mean, really mean anything. It may tell us that we were wrong in our decision, but I didn't see the video myself. So, um, and the reason I didn't see the video myself was because I was getting my ear chewed off by the competitor's father, who understandably was upset. This competitor traveled a damn good distance. Okay, traveled from out of state. I'm not sure exactly where they were from, but they traveled from out of state to come to this match. He's a younger shooter, and something like this happens. I, I, And just being truthful here, I don't know if the father was more upset about the circumstances and how it went down and everything, or losing his hundred bucks. I think that was what upset him more than anything else, was he just lost a hundred dollar bill. So... One of the one of the main complaints that the competitor had was the RO when the when the RO called the foot fault, the competitor and the competitor's father basically said, Well, the RO with the timer, who was the one that called the foot fault. They should be looking at muzzle direction, finger in the trigger, things like that. That RO at the timer should not be looking at feet. And basically what they were trying to argue, again, this is after the fact, after the decision has been made by us, the arbitration committee. Basically, they were trying to say the RO shouldn't have been looking at where my feet were. 
therefore, I I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been called for football. What? So let, let's let's make an analogy of this here. You're saying that because the RO was looking at something that they shouldn't have been looking at, that then then this whole thing shouldn't shouldn't have even been a thing. The call should have just been wiped out. So that's like saying if a NFL referee makes a holding call, but it's not that particular referee's responsibility to be looking for holds, then the hold didn't happen and there shouldn't be a penalty. It makes no sense, guys. Also, let me read you something. This is not a a document that is available to everybody, okay? This is a document that they send you when you sign up for an RO seminar. This is the student guide um, for the Level 1 RO seminar. Um, this is still the 2020 edition. But on page 31, talking about the responsibilities of the RO with the timer, okay? The RO with the timer, after ensuring the range is clear and safe to proceed, and issues the initial range command, blah, 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 blah. We go down through here. Uh, let's see. Follow, continues with the remaining range commands and follows the competitor through the course of fire, observing muzzle angle, Competitors' fingers and hands, especially when the gun is being manipulated, as with reload or clearing a malfunction. He also counts shots between reloads, and here's the important part, and can take a slightly bigger picture at times, observing the competitor's feet if near the fault lines. They can take a slightly bigger picture at times, observing the competitor's feet if near the fault line. Now, that is not a rule. That is not a USPSA rule. However, there also is no rule in the competition rules handbook or in the competition rules that states exactly what each and every single range officer on that stage should be looking for. It is the range officer's job to make sure that the stage is run safely, the competitor is shooting safely, to score the targets, and to call out any penalties. Period. So if the RO with the timer is looking at your feet to see if you're in or out of the shooting area, that's their job doesn't matter whether they're the RO holding the timer, the RO holding the tablet, or a third or fourth assistant RO. Any one of them can call a DQ. Any one of them can call a foot fault. That's their job. That's why they're there. So trying to say that the RO timer looking at my feet when he shouldn't have been looking at my feet he should have been looking at my gun, saying that that should just null and void the entire issue is not accurate. 
So what do you guys think about this? This was just kind of my rundown. I know I'm a little long-winded here. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think? Should the call have been overturned based off of what the RO was looking at versus what the RO should have been looking at? Um, the By the way, the timing RO on this particular incident, we asked him what he saw. And he basically said, I didn't have a good sight line to whether the competitor was in the in the shooting area or not. So I can't make a call one way or the other. Okay. That's good. Good to know. Now, if we have to bring you back in, we know not to bring you in because you didn't see what happened. Simple as that, guys. So let me know what you think about this. Um, shoot me an email, head over to the YouTube channel, uh, throw something up on there. I will at some point probably be putting a video up, uh, probably an RO Corner episode about arbitration and how the whole process works within the rule book, things like that. Um, you know, send me an email, lamesealshooting at gmail.com. Um, link will be down in the description of this podcast, also on the YouTube channel. Hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash shooting. And, uh, yeah, let me know what you think about this, guys. Because, uh, yeah, it, it was a wild end to the day. And I'll just leave it at that. So I have talked long enough. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, not sure quite what that's going to be yet. But uh, get on the USPSA dot org website vote if you haven't already in the presidential runoff election um, the managing director was just announced go and check that out also um, that was just announced the other day uh, where is it here no i guess i didn't put it on there so anyway um, yeah check that out uh, check out the new potential classifiers. This is a this is a thing that I saw. Um, it actually popped up, I believe, that same day on Sunday at, at the Trident match. Something a little different the USPSA is doing. Basically, they've got five new stages that could be a classifier. Normally, what they would do is they would take these stages and they would set them all up at nationals, all the national events, run you know all the all the divisions through it so they can determine high hit factor and how they determine that i have no idea but what they've decided to do this time around and to be perfectly honest i absolutely love this idea they're putting these five potential classifiers out to any USPSA club in the country that wants to shoot them. Okay. I know there are a couple of, um, there was at least one club down in Augusta uh, here in the state of Maine that I think, I think it was last week had a match and used all five of these. Okay. So what they're doing is they're putting these out to any club in the country that wants to shoot them for three months. At the end of that three months, 
they will take a look at all the data and everything and decide which ones will become the actual 2022 classifiers. Now, here's the thing. Normally, if you shoot an all-classifier match, they ha- the club has to pay extra activity fees to USPSA per classifier, which means you as a competitor have to pay extra to shoot that match. With these five, these five potential classifiers, that is not the case because they're not classifiers yet. However, at the end of the three months, when they figure out which of these five stages will become the new 2022 classifiers, they will become classifiers and the competitors that shot these stages in that three-month time frame will get an official classification score for those stages without having to pay an extra dime, both on the shooter's part and the club. The club will not have to pay extra activity fees because they shot these classifiers in the last three months, even though they're a new classifier now. But it still counts towards the club's required number of classification stages to stay current with USPSA, and all the competitors that shot one of the new classifiers, when it becomes a classifier, will actually get a classification. That will uh, apply to their classification. I don't know who came up with this idea, but they are brilliant. I absolutely love this this idea. I, I think it's great. I think this is how they need to do it from now on. So whoever came up with the idea, kudos to you. I have rambled on long enough Check me out on all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, Full 30. If you remember that, I, I really got to get on that. Um, but yeah, that is it from here. I will see you guys in the next episode. But until then, shoot safe. Mm-hmm.